I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. This is Amrit Sandhu, your host on this podcast show today. And today I have here with me in the flesh, Morgan Coleman. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Morgan is an indigenous entrepreneur and a property developer and a CEO of a tech startup called Vets on Call. He grew up in Bendigo and shortly after completing high school, moved to Melbourne to complete a Bachelor of Commerce at the University of Melbourne. Um, He completed that in 2012 and took up a full-time position with a company called Lendlease. That saw him work across many different positions and worked on heaps of multi-million dollar projects within Melbourne and Sydney. On the back of that, he started his own property developing company in the beginning of 2016 and shortly after that, founded his own tech startup. He he claims to be an incredibly, incredibly proud Torres Strait Islander, which we'll soon discover is the case, and uh, he hopes that his success in business will fundamentally inspire other Indigenous people to take control of their destiny and use business as a vehicle to create a better life for themselves. Beautiful. Welcome, Morgan. Thank you. How are you going today? Fantastic, man. Life is good. Yeah, beautiful. I, um, I just want to touch on just something in your bio that really stood out to me. So, you know, this idea that obviously you, you identify as, a, as, an indigenous, um, as an Indigenous entrepreneur and an Indigenous leader. Um, I think... I, I, what I really want to dive into is how, how important do you think it is to focus on something larger than yourself? How, like, how has that contributed to your success as well? Probably a two-part question, but yeah, like how important is that to you? Yeah, I think um, that you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, it's not just about the money. Like, I think if you listen to any um, really successful business person, they were always driven by a mission. And the reason that I think that that is so important, particularly when you start going into business, is because business is really hard. Yeah. Like business is a battle. Like, and there's days where it is, you know, there's days where it's awesome, and then there's days where you're just like almost in tears. And if you don't have something that's bigger than yourself that you're working towards, uh-huh. those days will break you. 
So that's why I think, you know, for me, it's about like my mission is to build a better world for indigenous people. And, and, uh, that is what inspires me when things get really tough. Where did that, where did that stem from? Like, why is it so like, obviously, you know, growing up as an indigenous individual, there were, there were hardships. Mm. You know, is there a, yeah, I think, look, I grew up with a single mum, and, um, she wasn't indigenous. My, um, heritage is actually from my dad's side of the family. Uh Um, but my mum was a single mum with two kids doing it really tough. And I think, um, you know, the hardships that I felt as an Indigenous person, they probably weren't so much to do with me actually being Indigenous. They were more to do with just the circumstances of my life. Um, in saying that though, you know, you are, you are actually subjected to a lot of racial discrimination, I would say. Um, you know, whether it's someone actually saying something directly to you or, you know, not realizing you're indigenous because you're light skinned and saying something in front of you, you know, um, or whether it's just the low expectations that people have on you once they find out you're indigenous and you can, you know, so often I feel that that expectation lower when people go, Oh, he's indigenous. Oh, okay. Right. They drop the bar for you. (laughs) They drop the bar for me. And it's like, you know, yeah. I'm running rings around the other guys. Yeah, right. So why would you drop the bar? Yeah. Raise it for me. I don't yeah, see right. being indigenous as being um, anything but an advantage. Yeah, right. Powerful stuff. Mm. Powerful stuff. So why why would you... Yeah, right. So how would you... like? Because obviously that's not, that's not a mindset that's readily afforded to, I guess... It, or it, I might be wrong, but, but I, I just feel like that's not a mindset that everybody has, ta- like, that is perhaps Indigenous has taken on board. That being Indigenous is actually something that empowers them rather than something that challenges them. Yeah, and you're probably right. Um, I think it's a matter of perspective, really. You know, there is no denying that we as Indigenous people are disadvantaged um, and in many cases oppressed by society. Uh-huh. Particularly when you're talking about historically. Like, yeah. there's... There's no denying that. However, it, your perspective is a really powerful thing. And I could look at myself as a victim, but that's not an empowering thought for me. Yeah. So by looking at you know all those things that have built my character over the last 27 years, uh-huh. um, that's, a, that's an advantage to me. You know, I've had, I've had the, the hard knocks that the non-Indigenous business guy that I'm going up against hasn't. Sure. So I've built that resilience. That to me is an an advantage. Yeah, right. Resilience is an interesting one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, strong. So I remember we've we've talked about this in the past, and um, I just wanted to sort of touch on it. Is you know you've you've mentioned that growing up Indigenous, like just obviously the bar's lowered for you, but then also like Indigenous people identify with a lower bar for themselves. It's like it's it was either I'm going to do sport mm-hmm. or I'm going to do you know, like it's going to be music or something. It's going yeah. to be something very left field and there's a very slim chance that I'll ever make it. Um, yeah. And the opportunities in like say something, especially like, and this is why your mission is so, pa- like you're so passionate about it, um, is that, you know, I need to sh- like demonstrate that business is, is an area where we can excel as well, you know, which is... Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, for me growing up, I remember thinking that if I didn't succeed at sport, 
yeah. I wouldn't succeed at all. And that was because as a teenager and a kid, you know, the only indigenous people I saw succeeding yeah. were all sports people. Yeah. And this is something that I think uh, non-indigenous people really sort of struggle with grasping yeah. because it's not something that they've ever had to actually deal with. Sure. As, um, as a non-indigenous person in Australia, you grow up and you know, I can do anything. And the yeah. reason you know that is because non-indigenous people are doing anything sure. and you see them doing anything. Yeah. From politicians to lawyers, accountants, teachers, you name it, they are visible as succeeding in those numerous fields. Uh But as an indigenous person, you see, you know, we're celebrated as sports people and it's like, well, if I can't play AFL, what am I going to do? Yeah, there's so much pressure in that in so many different ways, yeah? Like, obviously, the pressure, like, that it, that it affords, like, that you've got to go into sport, but then also when you're in the sport, I can only imagine how much pressure that must be on yeah. those that are actually selling at it to really excel at it. That's- yeah, and I can't speak for Indigenous sports people because uh, I'm not one of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think business for me, I really see business and entrepreneurship as the way that, I can empower myself uh-huh. to create a better life for myself and my family and ultimately my community. But, you know, I also see that that it's the vehicle that I think other Indigenous people can utilise to improve their own lives as well. Yeah. That's powerful. It's interesting as well because you just mentioned that it is really challenging as well to go into it. So, And then it's, uh, I think what I'm, what I'm picking up is that it's important that you know, growing up with that background and that sort of, uh, I guess the the me the background that's developed resilience in you, actually assist, can assist people of that background or the indigenous background to actually band together and do really well in this area because of resilience. Yeah. So resilience is something that has like has supported you in business. Absolutely. There's this um, there's this uh, experiment that was done in like the 1950s, and you would never get away with it now. Yeah. But um, this really resonated with me once I read about this. So basically what this psychologist did was he had a cage or a sort of pen yeah. um, and he, put, he electrocuted the floor on one side of the pen. In the middle of the pen, he had a small, uh, a small little hurdle, I suppose. Sure. And he put dogs into one side of the pen and when they were electrocuted the floor, half of them would be able to jump over the uh, barrier yeah. and escape the electrocution. Sure. But the other half, it didn't matter what they did, they couldn't escape the electrocution. Yeah, right. So then after that, after conditioning these dogs, uh-huh. he put all of them into a pen where if they jumped over the barrier, that escaped the electrocution. Okay. But two thirds of the ones that couldn't in the first instance didn't even uh, try. Didn't even try the next one. They actually just laid down and started whimpering and cowering and waiting for the electrocution to stop. Stop, even though they had an exit. What yeah. that pers- what that psychologist and I can't remember his name discovered was what's called learned helplessness. Yep. Meaning, if you are victimized enough, mm-hmm. that sometimes you like a lot of people will eventually believe that they can't change their situation. Uh-huh. I refuse to be that person. What is it about you, do you think, that makes you feel that you, like you're not taking on that load helplessness? <laughs> a 
Probably just that I'm really stubborn. <laughs> you know, if someone tells me I can't do something, I'm like, well, get it done. fuck you, I'm going to go do it, basically. Yeah, nice, nice. And so is that kind of, um, I guess, is that, I'm not sure if that's naturally segueing into into the idea of, um, like, you leaving Lendlease and, and, like, what inspired you there? Because obviously that's massive national, like, multinational company. You mm-hmm. work from here in Melbourne and then you... You know, you transfer across to Sydney. Um, you know, by all means, of most measures, you were, you know, quite successful in the company and doing really well and, you know, headed onwards and upwards. Um, and then you sort of pulled out of that to, you know, to, to work on your own stuff and mm-hmm. development and start a tech startup. Um, what, you know, what, what inspired you to, to do that fundamentally? Because obviously now it's all very you know, a bed of roses, like, you know, you're, you're working on a tech startup, getting massive investment in soon, and um, we're also, you know, your own developments, but that wasn't, well, I'm sure when you unplugged from Lend Lease, that wasn't the case. What? No, I mean, the tech startup happened kind of organically. It was more um, just through my experience of being a pet owner that that sort of came about. But the reason that I left Lend Lease was, you know, I'd been there four years, mm-hmm. and the first three were incredible. Like, I was Lendlease's biggest advocate, and I still think they are a fantastic company. Uh-huh. But then I moved to Sydney, and everything sort of changed. Um, it was just, you know, a clusterfuck, like, is basically what, how I would describe it. You know, um, incident after incident of, you know, racial vilification and just management's inability to deal with it. Right. But... That's, you know, that's nothing new to my life. So that wasn't really what bothered me. What bothered me was that I felt like I wasn't in charge of where I was going. Sense of control. Yeah. I always want to be the master of my destiny. So when when I started going about, okay, I need to get out of this team or I need to get off this project and start moving my career in the trajectory that I want, Uh I was blocked. Yeah. And that really bothered me. That didn't sit well with me. And I thought, you know, I could sit here and I'll continue to be promoted in this company, but I'm always going to be at the whim of someone else's desire. It's interesting because I guess what I'm hearing is there was resistance to your progression. Um, but just before we were talking about resilience. So, yes, there's resistance, but there must have been something different about this kind of resistance that made you realize it's not just developing resilience. Mm. Yeah, I mean you've got to recognize when you're just bashing your head against a brick wall. Yeah, right. And I was there for 15 months in that position and tried so many different ways to remedy the the situation and and progress and I was just being blocked. And so that's ultimately why I left is that, you know, I, I always want to be in charge of where I'm going. I am the master of my destiny. In control of your life. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. So on that journey, like obviously there would have been people that have supported you through that and then, you know, I'm sure there would have been plenty of naysayers just kind of yeah. saying don't unplug as well. Yep. What, was, what was that like? like? Who's been your biggest advocate and, you know, who could you not have done this without almost? Oh, well, I think, you know, I couldn't, I wouldn't be the person I am without my mum. Yep. My mum is my biggest inspiration. She's incredible. She's the most... You know, she's the most resilient, um, forgiving human being I've ever met in my life. Mum's um, good like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
but I also I was really fortunate that prior to the move to Sydney, yeah. I met who's now my fiance Katie, uh-huh. and. Katie has been a tremendous support. Like when I was sort of tossing up what to do, whether I should stay at Lendlace and just suck it up and be miserable, but you know, in a year or two, I'd move projects and be fine. Um, I said to her, you know, I don't want, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I think I want to do my own thing. Sure. And I've had partners in the past Uh whose response would have been like, but what about me? (laughs) You know, like easy conversation. Exactly, exactly. You would think it's an easy conversation, but it's one that uh, you know when it pops up, you think like, yeah. "Wait, what?" Yeah. Um. So I had had those partners in the past, and when I said this to Katie, and she just she said, "Well, then quit, go do your own thing. You can do it." I was just taken back and thought, you know, this girl's amazing. Yeah. Um. I think. Like, I know that I wouldn't be here without Katie. Yeah. I know that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without just the understanding and support that Katie has. There's that wisdom in the age-old... Um, is that age-old saying, yeah, that, like, behind every successful man is a strong woman, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it really, really resonates. I, um, I remember there was a time in my life where I was personally really struggling as well, and, you know, there was a time where I really didn't believe in myself, but I had um, my partner, she completely completely believed in me when I couldn't even believe in myself mm. and just the strength of that you know and like someone else I guess like in a spiritual sense holding a light for you when you can't even see the light yeah and then you're getting through that troubled time and coming out on the other side and it sounds like yeah yeah I think there's something very uh, empowering and, and inspiring mm. about someone seeing something in you that you can't even yet see yeah you know and I know that Katie loves me, so she's not impartial. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, just having that confidence in me that, you know, like, what's the worst that can happen? You fail and you figure something else out. Yeah, yeah. On that note, like, you know, you, you, I know you've, you've worked on a few things before you've come around to where you are today. And mm-hmm. things are like, you know, and like always wishing you all the best, brother, but... You know that you know you've gone from strength to strength to strength at the moment, but I know you've had um you've had some you've had some failures in the past as well. You know, like yeah, to get to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my my first venture didn't even make it to market. Like it was, <laughs> it was so poorly thought out because I was so desperate to leave Lendlace. You know, in hindsight, I recognise that, but at the time, like you convinced yourself that no, no, this is really good. The market wants this, or the market needs this. But had I actually looked at it objectively, um, I would have realized very quickly, no, there is no space in the market for this. What you're doing is already being done. Yeah. And um, you're not adding value to the marketplace. Yeah. And, you know, the market's unforgiving. Is this, is this one, what we're talking about? Is this is your, the, the protein startup? Yeah, so I did a, a sports protein startup. And yeah. the initial idea around it was to... Um, sort of buy Australian-made protein, like your basic kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and actually package it as premium yeah. and send it over to China and sell it there. Yeah. Which, um, because China has a huge um, fitness industry that's, I think it's quadrupling every three or four years. So sure. it's a massive growing market. Yep, sounds like it. And they love Australian produce. However, 
to get into China in terms of uh, produce is really hard. And it takes probably two or three years. So that meant that, okay, now I need to be selling something in Australia while I'm trying to get this stuff into China. Sure. And there was no place in the Australian market for it. Right. Right. I also wonder if... Um, yeah, because it, it it's, it's very fitting because obviously, you know, we, we met at the gym and mm. um, that's another story. I won't, I won't go into that right <laughs> now. But, um, but just it was very fitting for you to do a, you know, a, a protein or a supplement company just based on, um, you know, your fitness goals and, you know, your, your physique and your attributes and just the way your, your mental and physical programming sort of fits in together and what you embody in that space. Um, but it's interesting that you, I guess what I'm aware of is that doing that felt like or sounds like you were doing that more to fit into just the image of yourself, you know, at the time, which was like, yeah, you know, like, Morgan Coleman, I could totally be your supplement and protein guy because it's something that I'm super passionate about for myself. Yeah. Whereas it seems like business and entrepreneurialism um, is really something that we were just touching on before. So the picture's much bigger than you. Yeah. I think you can just sort of, like, even just watching you as you're talking about it, you can sort of, like, it, you, you can feel the sort of energy sort of shrink when you're talking about the protein thing, but when you're talking about entrepreneurism and business... Like the expansion, like you're just more comfortable in your being when you're talking about it. And I think that just is a, something that I'm just reflecting on as we're talking about. Yeah, and you're probably right, you know, that it was kind of, I was so miserable in my job that I was really desperate for an out. Yeah. And, you know, I have ideas for business all the time, businesses all the time. Uh-huh. And sometimes they never go past the idea stage yeah. because, like, think about it a bit more I might write down a few numbers on a spreadsheet and then go no that is so shit that will never work (laughs) but you know keep thinking so and had I done that I probably would have very quickly realized this isn't a great idea Uh and it's not a viable business but um, I was kind of just had the rose tinted goggles on because I wanted it to work so much of course of course what did you what did you learn out of you know having a failure like probably making a couple of spreadsheets and running it through a couple of numbers first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, when it's your own business, it's very hard not to be emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. But you need to bring yourself to a center where you are rational. Objective. And objective. And you can look at your business and go, is this, like, is am I thinking of this like this because it's my baby? Mm-hmm. You know how you like, you might see, this is the analogy that I use, like, how many times have you met a kid that is just awful? Like, the kid is awful, badly behaved, like, you know, it's bullying other kids and stuff, whatever. But the parents just think it's the best thing in the world, right? <laughs> and, you know... Great metaphor. <laughs> you, as a, you as a business owner yeah. are that parent. Sure. You think that your kid is the best ever. Yeah. Despite what Boots everyone else... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Despite what everybody else thinks, you think that your business is the best. Yeah. And that everyone else should just feel the same. Yeah. But you really need to test your market. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and be open yeah. for that criticism where you go, hey, your kid's a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, or your kid's like, he's no good. Sure. And you got to be willing to, to listen to that and actually look at it from an objective point of view. 
So how does one how does one afford themselves that objectivity or the or that like you know that? I think right um, outside support. Yeah, it's outside support. But you also got to remember that the people that are closest to you never want to hurt you. Of course. Right? Of course. So if you go, I've got this great business idea, you know, um, what do you think, mum? Mum goes, it's great, you know? <laughs> yeah, go for it. And in the back of her mind, she's going, oh, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> right? But, yeah. you know, and the thing is, with the world that we live in, there's so many people that are accessible to you yeah. that will tell you exactly what they think because they get to hide behind the safety of a keyboard and, you know, the anonymity of social yeah. media, yeah. right? So just put it out there. Like the worst thing that happens is that they shit can you and you move on. Yeah. But, I mean, in terms of of bringing yourself back to center, you've got to, I think that just comes to self-awareness. So, so look within yourself and sort of really sit with that, but then also try and uh, like source external unbiased advice on how it would float, how yeah. it would feel and how it would actually go. Exactly. Yeah, right. Um, so in, in, in a point of, uh, I guess just on the back of failure, um, talking about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm personally aware that, you know, and this is where <laughs> being friends with you before going into this podcast is really helpful. Um, <laughs> But I know that, I guess you've been sort of, like, I know there's a book coming out, there's, you know, there's stuff that you're working on, there's also this, well, let's just, let's just start with Vets on Call, you know, which mm-hmm. is awesome, awesome, awesome project, hats off, bro. Um, now, what I really want to talk about is, in around that, like, the idea of the disgruntled customer, mm-hmm. yeah, like, just this idea that, you know, some, like, there's been something that, where you've seen somewhere, you've been, have gone and had an experience, and the experience has failed you. Mm-hmm. And then you've gone, wait, this is not how I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And then let's take action towards rectifying that, perhaps because I may not just be the only one feeling this way. Maybe that. Yeah. I mean, I think the pain points that I felt as a customer, they were things that technology could help us alleviate. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, just sort of fortunate that the veterinary industry was quite. Uh, was operating in a really old way, yeah. you know, been operating the same way for decades. And whilst they'd had technology advancements in terms of treatment and, you know, there's a few software packages and stuff, no one had really sort of looked at, well, what are the customers feeling, uh-huh. you know? Um, and what, like, how could we change our business yep. to better meet their needs, right? And I think that happens a lot with a lot of different industries and it's the reason that Uber is so successful, because, you know, Uber, Airbnb, like some of these, um, what they call unicorns, billion dollar companies, they've met a need that has been ignored mm-hmm. by the industry for decades. And they've ignored it because everyone goes, oh, but we're getting along, we're making money, you're making money, like, let's not disturb this. But as a customer, I was like, no, like, I, I want convenient affordable, stress-free pet care. Yeah. Can you... And your service isn't providing that for me. Totally. So, you know, it's nothing against vets. I mean, vets are doing an amazing job. Yeah. But but what happens is with... Um, and I saw this in, in property as well. People get... They walk in somewhere and they go, this is how we do things. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question of, 
why? Yeah. Or is there another way we can do it? It's just a... Dive into it. It's a, okay, no problem. They put on this tunnel vision. So it's interesting because that disruptive technology, like I guess disruption is kind of the word that's emerged out of what you've just mentioned. And so that disruptive technology, because, you know, you you made a point to make sure that, you know, there's nothing wrong with the vets. But just to be clear, like this is really amazing because it actually benefits the vets as well as... You know, and I think that's where the power of disruptive technology really shines because it's, um, I guess it, it, it just takes the place of the middleman, doesn't it? Yes, um, it does. And the reason that uh, Vets on Call is good for vets is because it has to be. You know, we're creating what's basically a marketplace mm-hmm. and we have two customers, the vets and the pet owners. Uh-huh. And if we're not appeasing both sides of that marketplace, then the business fails. Right. So you have to make it good for the vets. So you also have to identify what the vets' pain points are, which we did. And like that so sort of just... more of a holistic consciousness that you're yeah, business with. Or absolutely. With, yeah. You know, like it's not that the vets um, are doing anything wrong. Yeah. It's just that we can change the way that they provide their service uh-huh. that benefits them yeah. and it benefits the pet owner. Because you were saying vets end up taking more money home from these consultations than they do working hour to hour in the vet clinic. Yeah, like double their hourly rate for half an hour consultation. <laughs> so just quickly, let's, let's, I probably should have done this, but let's take a step back and let's yep. just go, vets on call. Okay, so let's. Uh, I, I pop open the app mm-hmm. um, and... Okay, so let's say my, my, my dog, Gaia, she's got um, something, she's walking around with a bit of a limp, and yep. I'm not really sure what's going on. Um, I pop open the app, vet's on call, what's yep. going on now? Like, is, I'm So, saying. I'm assuming that you've already set up your profile on Gaia's profile, which would take you a few minutes. Yeah. But literally, you would just go book an appointment, you'd select the date and time that you want the vet for. Uh-huh. Um, and then it would show all the vets that are available yep. uh, in your local area. So even if that's after work, even if yeah, absolutely, awesome. Yeah. So and that was another thing is that you know, for me it was about convenience. When I worked at Lenlace, if I took my dog to the vet, it had to be outside of business hours. Yeah. And once you're outside business hours, then you charge a, you get charged a premium. Yeah. And, and it's difficult, you know, like. I remember when Milky, that's my dog, um, was a pup and she was really sick. And there was this guy um, who who had like a two-month-old baby at the time in my office. Uh He was talking about how how little sleep he'd been getting. And I was like, mate, I feel you. Like, (laughs) I'm up every two hours with my dog. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And he just looked at me like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, you know, so there's not this understanding, yet we think of our pets like they're a member of the family. But if I say to my boss, hey, I've got to leave work at 12 because I've got to take my dog to the vet. He'd be like, what? You're an idiot. Go back to your desk. Like, do that in your own time. But if you say... You know, I've got to take my kid to the doctor. No worries, mate. Go for it. Like, yeah. you got to, you do what you got to do. It's very right? different, isn't it? It's, it's exactly... <laughs> yeah, it is really different. But at the same time, you know, we think about our pets like they're members of the family. Yeah. So, okay, I can book an appointment at any time of my choosing. Mm-hmm. And then... What, what, what at that point? Am I... So you select the type the, of... Am I paying for it up front? Or am I... Oh, so I we take... The of, yeah, the type of consultation. So you would, in that instance, select ill pet because we're not really sure what's wrong with it. If it was something that was easily identifiable for the owner, like um, like a rash on their skin. Yeah. It's a skin condition. Clearly, you choose that consultation. Sure. After that, uh, after you've selected the vet, and um, we take pre-authorization. So we don't charge your credit card. Uh-huh. We just take pre-authorization so that once the vet has completed everything in the service mm-hmm. um, and notified us what they've done, yep. that's when we take pre-authorization. However, <clears throat> as an owner, you know exactly the max amount that your credit card will be charged. Before the vet, before arrives, the vet arrives. arrives. Yep. That's powerful stuff because I know that I've been to the vet before. Actually, not just a couple of months ago. And there was there was like a guy had a little cyst in her tail, mm-hmm. and sorry, listeners. <laughs> anyway, we got that all popped and all the gross stuff happened. But then afterwards, I'm like, oh, and when was the last time she was wormed? And I'm yeah. like, oh, and when was the last time this happened? And when was the yeah. last time this happened? And I was like, oh, I don't remember, you know. And so, and I walked away with an extra three hundred dollars worth of shots and pills and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as I walked out, I realized. I was emotionally leveraged into that situation because I absolutely love my dog. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure she needed all of that. So that's I think that's really like really awesome that I can see. Okay, this is the treatment that I'm getting, and this is how much it's going to cost mm-hmm. me from the outset. Yeah, and you know, if your pet does need something more, mm. we'll notify you of that, and we won't charge you until you're ready. Right. So, for example, we actually um, we include a standard dose of medication into our consultation fees so that's how we're able to tell you what the max is that we'll charge but that's uh like if if there's something that your pet needs that we don't stock Mm -hmm. um like a medication that's you know not readily available or it's not frequently used we'll prescribe that through through to you through the app and let's say it was twenty dollars you'll get a notification saying hey, Dr. John's just prescribed you this. It's $20. Would you like to order it? Yeah, right. Okay. And only if you say yes will we charge your credit card. Sure. And then we'll ship it out the next day. What about like radiology and that sort of stuff? Yeah, so it's important to think of, you know, we can't just, we can't take what the clinic's doing and remove services and expect customers to think of us as equals. Yeah. We need to be able to facilitate, you know, the whole spectrum of consultations uh-huh. that are that an owner would be able to get at the vet. Sure. Right? So what we did, we took what the clinic does, we added convenience, uh-huh. we added uh, affordability, and we removed the stress. Sure. 
but we can't do x-rays in the home. So yeah. what we've done is we've partnered with um, clinics all around Melbourne um, that, let's say in your instance, guy needed a an x-ray, they would refer you through the app. Yeah, right. They don't know what clinic they're referring you to, so there's no chance of getting kickbacks or Lights. like... Yep. Yeah, yeah. So um, you would then receive the referral details um, along with a referral code and also the clinic that oh, you're referred to. It's exactly like that. Brilliant. But the clinics that we've chosen, you know, we've allocated them um, areas around them yeah. so that it's still really convenient. You know, uh-huh. you're not in Werribee getting referred to a, <laughs> um, a clinic in, you know, Doncaster or something like that. Sure. You would be referred somewhere really convenient for you as well. That's awesome that you've teed it up like that. Yeah, cool. Wow, I, I really didn't <laughs> <laughs> So when, when, are we, when are you launching Vets on Call? Look, we're launching um, in November uh-huh. this year. Okay. Yep. And how's all the prep work been going into that? Like, how's, because um, I guess I, I sort of come from a place of, I know you're doing a lot, you know, like, yep. um, you know, you, there's obviously Morgan Coleman Developments, there's Vets on Call, there's working on a book, you know, how is, I guess, that sort of segues into, you know, you're taking on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in terms of the stuff that I do, mm-hmm. I'm lucky with developments that it's kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. So I started that with very little capital. So I was only able to um, secure two projects yep. uh, where I've joint ventured with the landowners. Perfect. But they're small scale developments and, you know, there's a lot of work in parts, uh-huh. but then you hand it off to say council or something and you might not hear back for two months sure. and there's really nothing more that you can be doing in that, in that time, time. Um, until you get the permit back or until you get their feedback. Which I'm imagining might even be like a point of grace. <laughs> yeah. Everything and that's doing. exactly right. And so, you know, at the moment I'm in the process of tendering out and signing up a contractor for one of the, um, one of the projects. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of busy now. Yeah. Um, but once I sign up the contractor and get the start date, yeah. great. Now it's over to him, and he, and all I need to do is monitor his contract, basically. Sure. So I'm lucky in that sense, and I think you know the book and stuff. That's just that's just a creative project that I do if I've got time and need a creative outlet. It's, but I'll never take on something that uh, that I can't do, because I think as a business person and just a you know, even as a non-business person, mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than telling someone that you can do something or you will do something uh-huh. and then not following through. Yeah, right. There's nothing more detrimental, I think, to your credibility and your reputation if you say yes when really you can't do it. Don't flake. Don't flake. And if you say something, if you say yes to something that's going to, push you mm-hmm. well you better move hell or high water yeah. to make sure you deliver you socks up yeah get running that's exactly right yeah so because I say yes to things that challenge me or I haven't done yet before sure but you bet your ass I figure out exactly how to done. do it yeah. and I make sure I deliver uh-huh. yeah right okay and so wow sorry that's just yeah really <laughs> um so how like okay so all these things coming in together and then 
making sure that you deliver on what you promise and not taking on too much stuff um, so that you can deliver what you promise you say you will mm-hmm. um, I'm still I'm still I guess I'm trying to pick a pick out a why in all of that you know I'm still trying to understand like why why are you like taking on so much like I know what, what, what what's driving you what, what's the drive here there's a couple of things I think that really drive me. Um, one is that I just want better for myself, you know. Um, I grew up with a single mum, and I still remember the time when she was so poor that we ate mashed potatoes for dinner three days in a row because she couldn't feed us anything else. She couldn't afford to. Sure. So I don't want that. You know, I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for my family. And I know there's parts of the, like there's indigenous people across the country going through similar things. Mm -hmm. I don't want that for them either. And what drives me is to create a better world for myself and a better world for my family and, and my community. Because when I was 19, I went and managed a pool in Norseman. Uh-huh. Um, which is this really tiny town about 10 hours east of Perth yeah. in the middle of nowhere. There was about 800 people that lived there at the time I was there. And the place. Yeah, <laughs> mate, it was a happening metropolis. <laughs> exactly. Where is this place? So it's about, yeah, uh, 10 hours east of Perth. What's it called? Norseman. Norseman. We're putting it on the map here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go check it out. Um and the majority of the people that lived there were indigenous. Yeah. And I was managing the local pool for two months. I think I was the caretaker. And, you know, every day there were indigenous kids coming in. They were complaining about being hungry because they hadn't been fed. They were bragging about being out drinking with their 19-year-old cousins the night before. Like, this is, you know, six, seven-year-old year kids. Whoa. Right? Yeah, right. And um, this one day, this kid who could not have been more than two, Uh you know, stumbled into the pool. And um, before he went to jump in, I stopped him. I said, mate, where's mum? Where's dad? And he looked at me and just sort of like shrugged his shoulders. I actually knew where his parents were because they lived next to where I was staying. Right. And they were at home drinking. And I thought, you know, as a 19-year-old pool guard, I just felt helpless. I felt, you know, these are my people. I'm Torres Strait, they're Aboriginal. I know there's a difference. But, you know, I look at at us as the same because we've felt the same injustices. So when, when I saw that and I was like, you know, these are my people. These are my people suffering. And... Right now, I'm powerless to do anything. So that is something that drives me every day, you know, and I think I just like being busy as well. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I take on a lot because I never want to be bored. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, so that went from really deep to really lighthearted. But I think what what was was just emanating, especially on the back of just discussing like... um, yeah, the disgruntled customer and being in that position and creating a change and also like sitting with, you know, just that deep emotion of not wanting that for anyone and mm-hmm. um, is, 
yeah, I guess that whole Mahatma Gandhi quote is, is being the change that you wish to see in the world. Yeah. So really stepping up and, you know, like not just... Not just not just visual, not just like you know ruminating on it, but having some really catalyst moments where that really touched you. But then also like in your in your practical in a practical way when it came to business, it was like okay, so this is the change that I wish to see um, on many levels. You know, within myself, so I want a better mm-hmm. future, but then also a better future for the indigenous communities. And then on a real real simple level, which is like I want a better experience as an individual when my, I'm having my pet serviced. You know, and yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful, brother. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I think that um, you know, everyone has the ability to empower themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but to do that takes courage. Yeah, I think right. that's what stops a lot of people is that they're fearful, mm-hmm. and you know, I kind of sat there at Lenlace and thought, what am I more fearful of? a career here being miserable not sleeping on a Sunday night because I didn't want to go to work on the Monday or am I more fearful of going and betting on myself and seeing what happens like worst case scenario I end up with nothing well fuck I've been there like that's I can deal with that (laughs) yeah right yeah but those are those are real fears. Those are two yeah. very distinct fears. I think it, you're not alone in sitting with them. I know at times I've I've sat with those as well. It's, yeah, absolutely, and that, that's exactly what it is. You know, you hear people say like, "Oh, but I think like for people my age, it's it's difficult." Like I've got a friend that works for Emirates. He's a pilot for Emirates, mm-hmm. and he's got like. He's got this fantastic life, like you know, flies around the world, he's like a high class. oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. He is. You know, he has um, like beautiful women throwing themselves at him because he's like he's a pilot, you know. And I look at his life sometimes, and I think, am I doing the right thing? You know? But. But I think that's actually what stops a lot of young entrepreneurs is that they're like, oh, but my mate's working at the bank and he's earning a hundred grand a year, sure. you know, and I'll have to take a significant pay cut to go and be an entrepreneur. Yes. But yeah, you will. But you know, that's what the mission's about. The mission. So that's what it's, you know, it's not about the money. It's about creating something that's, you know, adds value to the world. Do you think that's why tech startups are so powerful at the moment? Because at the moment, because there's been so so much of like a shift, like a like oh, I just got to go there, like a consciousness shift almost. Like money just doesn't really cut it anymore. You've got to be mission oriented in terms of like getting the next iteration of what we're trying to do with like society and everything mm. coming through. Um, you know, I don't know if there has. I kind of disagree on that. That there's been this consciousness shift because. The way I see the world, it's like, you know, I see so much ignorance and Mm. hate that is accepted by so many and, and, um, you know, peddled by even more. Mm -hmm. Like if I watch, I never watch the news except for the other day when I was on it. (laughs) But uh, because it's never a good news story. Yeah. You know, like... Totally agree. But the fact that we can have this conversation that there's no good news... On television, but and more and more people are like tuned into that. 
But do you think they are or do you think that that's because that's energy you're giving off and attracting those that feel the same way? I think a bit of both. I'd like to think a bit of both. I'd like to think that the world's getting to a better place and you know, I don't good. think it's getting worse. I don't. But um, I certainly think that there's a lot of people that aren't conscious. But I think more and more people are getting there. Like I feel like there's more yoga studios popping up, there's more organic food places popping up, mm. there's more meditation centers opening up, there's more, yeah, there's just more of the good sort of frequency, vibration, good feels type sort of stuff happening. And I, I, I totally see what you're saying, it's like obviously I'm tuned into that, yeah. so I'm seeing it a lot more, uh, but I've asked this question in the past, you know, like, am I just seeing, have these things always been there and are they, you know... Am I finally tuning into them, or have they? Uh, are there more and more of this happening? And I think I ask this question of quite a, a, a spread of people, and they're like, "No, no, no, there is more and more of this sort of shift coming." So, but I think I, yeah, I think it's interesting because I think perhaps in any given moment both are probably true, depending on yeah the situation. So at some point things are shifting and rising up. At the same time, there are certain aspects of humanity that do need a real push to sort of push forward as well but I, I mean in terms of your question like to answer your question when it comes to why there's so many tech startups and stuff I actually think it's because there's just better technology you know you can do so much with technology now uh-huh. that you couldn't do even five years ago so yeah. there's so much more opportunity for people to chase that dream because uh-huh. I don't think that people have you know have not chase their dream in the past the dream's just changing because mm-hmm. if you think about America the dream was white picket fence yeah you know quarter acre block a house in the suburbs that's not their dream anymore yeah. because it's not a reality yeah but um, you know I think there's just so many more opportunities to create a change and there's just people that are disgruntled (laughs) (laughs) interesting because we're talking about the the dynamic nature of dreams I guess like over time the dreams change and I'm aware that that's a really interesting space to watch um, because I read somewhere by 2050 like 40 to 40 to 60 percent of the jobs we currently occupy are expected to be redundant yeah you know because you know like retail shopping is at the moment it's struggling it's like you know well over 50% of the economy and that's just closing down as we speak you know it's all becoming automated like Amazon's on its way to Australia now Mm -hmm. Um, and so as those shifts happen it's interesting because you also mentioned the word purpose and what we were just talking about and so I think that's kind of the vein that this podcast has been created in as well slightly is that you know trying to get people more aware of their purpose because perhaps you know let's just say your job doesn't exist what is it here that you're actually here to do what is your purpose and it's interesting because you're reflecting back that your purpose can be facilitated by the technology that's making your purpose redundant, like making your job redundant. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, I think for me, that's exactly why business is so important is because I am in charge of where I'm going, mm-hmm. right? And I think if you look at the schooling system now, mm-hmm. they're not creating business people. Yeah. They're creating employees. Yeah. And the problem with that is... If you have an employee mindset, mm-hmm. you're not a job creator. Yep. You're a job filler. So when those, did you say 60%? Yeah. 60% of jobs go, what are you going to do? 
because you got no job to fill anymore, right? So yeah. you need to you need to change your thinking yeah. to be a job. Yeah, to, absolutely to be a job creator. And that is why business and entrepreneurship is so important to me. Mm, vital. Not just to you, but in this time as well. Yeah. Yeah, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. All right, on a lighter note, what's one book that if you had to say there was one book that you had to recommend to, okay, your son? Yep. What would be that book? How old's my son? <laughs> uh your ah <laughs> oh, damn it! I wish there was no contingencies. Um, okay, your son is he's turning twenty one. Right, eighteen or twenty one. The happiness advantage. The happiness advantage. By Sean Acle. Sean Acle. Really insightful stuff about how how you can choose to be happy daily, mm-hmm. and the benefits that that will ultimately have, not just on your life, mm-hmm. but literally on the world around you. You know, think like practicing gratitude as like just, you know, a simple example from his book, practicing daily gratitude. You're going to attract more of those things that you're gratitude so grateful for. And, you know, yeah. And that energy that you're emitting, people feel that Mm -hmm. the world feels that. Mm -hmm. And they've even done um, experiments where they had like, I think it was like a thousand people Mm -hmm. in an area of, uh, I think it was New York meditate yeah and the crime rate dropped plummet like plummeted and they stopped they stop uh, like doing the regular meditation and the crime rate just creeps back up yeah there's a Nikola Tesla quote where he goes if you really want to try and figure out the universe start thinking in the way of frequencies and wavelengths and stuff like that yeah and um yeah yeah really really gets me thinking and you know on a more recent I was actually speaking to um my fiance about this because very recently I um, I was in the age for Bets on Call that actually got published to the Sydney Morning Herald and then from that just this kind of like overwhelming response from the media where you know I was on I was requested to be interviewed on ABC radio in Sydney mm-hmm. um, Triple M shared our story yeah. Fox FM so, shared yeah. our story I was on Nine News twice nationally, uh-huh. and it was just this over and like the feedback that we got was just this overwhelming positivity, yeah. right? But I manifested that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I legitimately manifested that. I've been thinking about like being on TV and having the cameras in front of me for for six months. You visualized it. I visualized that. You dreamed it real, and. Yeah, I mean, like, action obviously takes a huge part. Of course. And I busted my ass for that, but, you know, those... I truly believe that I manifested that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're yet to see where it'll finish. <laughs> yeah. I totally... Um, I just want to I just want to reflect back on the Sean Acorn book, firstly, was... Um, yeah, what came to mind was um, the quote that when you change the way you see the world, the world around you changes. Mm-hmm completely and um, just I know you know it's interesting because obviously I can't really have a conversation without you and not mention boxing <laughs> and uh, we recently had that Conor McGregor fight but um, something that I'm really passionate about just in terms of dreaming it real and you know visualising and seeing things 
I'm, I'm, I really get inspired by the way Conor McGregor languages yep. the way that he does and I'll never forget when he won his second belt um, you know he, he won his fight but they gave him his second belt but he didn't have his initial belt the first one there and he would not speak to the mic he would not have a conversation with anyone until he got his second belt and they brought back his initial belt and now he's got both of them on his shoulders and he's yep. like yeah this is how I visualized it. This is yeah. how I saw it happening. And I dreamed this and this is my reality. I saw this become reality. This is, you know, and he totally like, you can, you can see it. Like he's finally content because it's like, this is how I dreamed it and I've dreamed it real. Yeah. You know, and it was even that subtle nuance, right? Of like that second belt. It's not just like, yeah, I've got the belt. It's like, no, they're both hanging on my shoulder and this is how it looks. And um, yeah, just, I felt that sort of energy when you were saying, you know, like I've, see myself you know sharing this wisdom of business and you know the importance of that in front of cameras and when you visualize that the potential of dreaming that real yeah you know powerful man um so one piece of actionable wisdom for your listeners to follow that could help them might be like a little habit or a hack or a trick just something maybe something that they could do daily or something they could do weekly or something they could implement once a month, whatever, just that you would love to share that, you know, just from your heart to the people that matter to you. Look, I think um, mine's not all that inspiring, you know, like mine's just really practical. So every every Sunday, uh-huh. I'll spend probably two hours preparing all my meals for the week. Sure. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, it helps with like, you know, watching what I eat because if I don't do it then it's you know you're getting convenience based food and that's never ideal but um, it removes what I have to think about you know like (laughs) it it makes it so simple right so I get up I know what I'm going to eat for breakfast I know what I'm going to have for morning tea I know what I'm going to have for lunch and I don't have to sit there and go oh you know what should I have and spend that energy that I could be spending elsewhere doing more productive things so, um, you know, that's a really simple thing and it's kind of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg takes it to a new level. So Mark Zuckerberg actually wears the exact same thing every day, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. But he does that purposely. It's not because he's like fashionably retarded. It's because yeah. he doesn't want to have to get up and waste valuable thought and energy on what he's going to wear. He knows what he's going to wear. It's some like it's a hoodie and some sneakers and I can't remember like a yeah jeans. right. So we just just frees up all that extra cognitive yeah. and like physical time as well. Wow. Yep, that's literally why he does it. And my food is kind of a more basic version of that. Totally, totally, I can see that. But I mean, you know, in terms of a daily thing, like every morning I write uh, my goals. Mm-hmm. I write them as if I've already achieved them. Yeah. And then I say them to myself as if I've already achieved it. Uh-huh. Um, and then I just visual, like do some meditation and visualize, you know, my ideal life in three years time and, and the purpose of my day and just resonate with all the great, the gratitude that I have for the things that have happened in my life. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a meditation practice with great visualization in there. And yeah. Gratitude. And when I'm saying, uh, saying my goals and and that I say it like you know with real feeling Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm there reading out like you know just this monotone kind of thing where you know I feel it I feel it in my heart like I've got the energy and I feel it Mm 
uh, right through my body. And I think that that's where really the transportation, like the the transformative power of that, really comes through when you back it up with emotion. Yeah. So you know, when uh, when I said to you, I'm the master of my destiny, I say that to myself every morning. Yeah. And when I say it to you, there's no incon like incongruence yeah. because I say it exactly like that to myself. Uh-huh. You know. Powerful. Um, I think we're really annoyed to end the podcast on just to, just, to, just to share with everybody just the master of your own destiny. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, brother. Really Mate, anytime. Through. Always a treat to connect. For those that are, that are listening in and curious more to how to get in touch with Morgan Coleman, I think the best place to start is Bets on Call. Download the app. Get your doggy some amazing, um, or your cat, but doggy <laughs> some amazing 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 vet care and make it convenient for yourself make it cheap for yourself and yeah and uh, i hope you got some really amazing um just some really amazing insights into what business can afford you in life and that sort of stuff um but yeah an absolute treat to have you here today and i look forward to to us doing another podcast soon absolutely just uh for all the listeners you can actually pre-register at uh www.betsoncall.pet get amongst it Game on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.